Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU fan podcast. I am one of the hosts of now the growing many of co-hosts. I am Peyton Guthrie, uh, joined as always by Matt Burton, our producer. He's taking care of stuff in the background. He's got his little sound machine button thing that's mainly in our minds at this point in time. Uh, also by Brady, uh, Tranthrum, and then we also have Alan Kinney who will be joining a little bit later. He had something to do with like families and watching them. I, I don't know what it is. None of us three here have... Uh, we, we, none of us have elongated the legacy of our families. Uh, so that's something we need to get onto. Uh, but before we jump on any other crazy stuff, Brady, Matt, one of you pick, how are y'all guys doing? Well, Matt's doing okay. Uh, Matt, how am I doing? You're doing great, man. You look great. Well, you look good. <laughs> well, now I feel bad for just <laughs> saying that you were okay. Well, no, that, that is me. I'm, I'm the okayest man, uh, probably on the planet. That's, I'm just... <laughs> All, all around okay yeah okay well that's a little too much talking for me you know go back to the cold <laughs> corner <laughs> yes, well, I wanted, I, well i wanted to be a gentleman much like the the denver nuggets are, are giving the miami heat the gentleman sweep uh making sure they at least get one game in front of the home crowd uh but before we jump into this stuff we've got a lot of topics to cover but we were mentioning that if you were signed up for the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash through the keyhole you'd have a chance uh to win an ou softball signed by Asterisk most of the softball team uh, that Davis was able to secure with us from a, a local signing. So I'm going to do a, a random number generator right now. It's number 12. We're going to our patrons. Oh my God, the suspense is killing me. 12. Chris Browster, congratulations. You are now the sole and uh, divine owner of an OU softball. Uh, I will email you. Uh, after this podcast to make sure we get an address for you and get that sent over your way. Um, I'll send you a private note right now. Thank you so much. Hopefully Matt puts like a drum beat, like, like a drum roll in that weird, awkward silence. <laughs> but, uh, awesome. I'm going to uh, name my firstborn child after Chris for winning this contest. So you should be very proud. Thank you so much, Chris. You've been a patron for where, where I can see here for 16 months. So thank you guys so much. Oh, they kind of joined after Brady left. So maybe maybe he doesn't freak out <laughs> once he's hearing your voice. Uh, <laughs> but we're in here now um, talking about the giveaway. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, new and improved Patreon. Now we have Brady back online, keeping us uh, working in the mines. He's got the whip get, getting us in there, making sure we're doing things on time. Brady, walk us through a little bit about what, if you're not subscribed to the uh, Through the Keel Patreon, that you would be uh, uh, expected to receive uh, moving forward. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the, the basic idea when um, Keyhole started back in, oh, I, I think we called it through the Keyhole in 2021. Um, we had the Patreon as far back as 2020, and that was still when it was called Inside OU, when it was just um, the podcast only. But I just, I basically wanted a place to put all my sometimes crazy OU thoughts down um, in written format or in videos. And so the Patreon kind of became that platform because at the time the franchise didn't really care for, you know, my OU thoughts. They were just more concerned about, um, all right, Brady, if, if the Thunder are doing something, we'll call you. So uh, that kind of is the idea is OU, just OU football, OU history, OU presence, um, wacky thoughts. Um, I, I, I would do the Monday post and then when things would kind of come up, I would write about it the day of, uh, but uh, when Keegan was on w- with me, he would do a Friday post. Um, basically, like what you're going to get with it is just every f- every few days you're going to have something to soak on, something to chew on, especially in the off season when there's not that much to do. Um, I'm at least confident in myself that I will find something to write about and I will try my best to make it informative and entertaining and worth your time. Um, and I know... Peyton, uh, you've done some writing here on on Keyhole as well. Um, who knows? Maybe we'll get Alan Kenny to jump on the old writing bandwagon with us. Uh, who knows? Um, that would be great if so, because Alan is also talented in his own right. But um, between the four of us, you're going to have a lot of stuff to chew on. And that's kind of the idea. But it's just, you know, OU football is a passion of mine, just like it is for anybody listening to this podcast. So um, if you're passionate about OU football and you already are because you're listening, then you're going to like what um, we put out there. It, and if you don't like it, that's kind of a part of the fun too. So just tell me how much of a fucking idiot I am. And that that's that makes my day. So um, I hope everybody appreciates it. But yeah, like in terms of the day-to-day, the Monday post will be coming back. So I'm sure a lot of the Monday post coming up tomorrow is going to deal with um, some more softball thoughts. I put out like a comparison between the 53-game and 47-game winning streak softball to football on Friday, I believe. So that's still live. If you want to go check that out and um, yeah. And we're going to get into football. I know Peyton, you're going to going to do some uh, your version of some film reviews to resurrect the $5 tier um, for those patrons. Um, I've always appreciated your ability to really watch the game from the X's and O's aspect, because it's something that frankly, I, I have a passing understanding of, I try not to get bogged down. And I, I, like, if I'm, if you can just describe how I watch football on that meme where there's one kid looking out the window, all sad because, Oh, like position wise or analytics or something. And then the other kids all smiley and saying he got that dog in him. That's all I really care about in, in turn, like how to describe that in terms of OU football, five-star receivers. Cool. They've not really panned out well for us recently. I want Antoine Savages. Was eight, was he a three or a four star? I don't care. He was badass. So, um, that's the way I view it, but the whole, this whole thing works with different viewpoints. So Peyton's viewpoint, especially as it pertains to X's and O's is always appreciated. So yeah, like keyholes fun. It, to me, it's just fun. It's been, uh, hopefully it's been fun for you guys since I've been away and since I've come back. So, um, that, it's just about fun, man. Yeah. And the goal for that $5 tier that we're trying to uh, bring back for the off season is every two weeks I'll post, um, uh, a little breakdown, maybe something about a certain position or a certain position type that OU is looking forward. Uh, and then in the season, uh, the goal is to do a um, a weekly post in which we break down 
maybe like key components of a game. It won't be a complete live watch watch throughs how it was in the past or like 30 minute videos. It will be truly you've got a couple of gifts breaking down two or three plays that maybe turned the tide or, or maybe like really cracked open a game for Oklahoma. Uh, but this offseason, the one I'm working on right now is uh, breaking down the cheetah position, how that was played uh, this past year with uh, Deshaun White and how we think it will be with uh, McCullough uh, kind of playing a little more rangier of a body type and things he may be doing based on the spring game and what happened there uh, versus what was going on last year. Uh, and the games I'm looking at right now in Nebraska where things went great, and then TCU where things did not go so great uh, to kind of show you maybe where how things can work and how things were victimized last year, but what that position was being asked to do. And then kind of maybe break it down on what that position has to do, albeit in a spring game, but hopefully for the upcoming season. But for all that, come support us, come hang out with us. It's a chance to uh, comment. You know, we're pretty active in the comments when the comments were popping back in the day with the Monday posts and uh, when, when more writing was on. Uh, but always come join us, uh, have some fun. We try to have giveaways like we just did. Congratulations, Chris, once again. Um, and have some fun there. Uh, you guys joining us only helps to, uh, grow the brand and allows us to do cooler stuff. But let's transition into the show and stop promoting ourselves like a bunch of shameless hacks. Uh, OU softball sweeps FSU, wins national championship. They're seventh overall. They're seventh since the year 2000. They won their first when OU, won, OU football won their seventh, and now they've already caught up and probably will pass them next year uh, if all things keep going to plan. Uh, I believe there is an Indiana recruit uh, who was a, a freshman All-American, second-team All-American, who is currently visiting Norman or will be pretty soon. So, uh, what if she everyone, doesn't like Norman, Peyton? Everyone loves Norman. What if it's she just backyard. shows up? And is, she's like, it's too hot. I'm from Indiana. Home, home, but the home field advantage is too easy. It's too easy to play there. Uh, but Oklahoma exactly. wins there. Let's just talk about the the, the championship total. Seven, seven in uh, 23 years. Um, obviously, it's like, what, six and 15 years or six and 10 years or something along those lines. It's Alabama. It's Alabama football in softball form. Brady, I mean, from a historical standpoint, you're kind of look at this from a football side a little bit, like when can OU football get back to this type of dominance uh, if it ever can again? But you you wrote about it. You wrote about the streak. You got fifty three game, fifty three wins versus forty seven. What did you think? What did, what did you come across from that when you're just thinking about where the streak is? What's it mean for o- Oklahoma and maybe even larger? What's it mean for uh, for women's sports? Well, I think the the biggest thing, and it kind of connects to the whole talking point that has come about because of the how, how apparently it's so unfair that OU is this good or how bad for the sport it could be. Um, and th- this is, of course, these are opinions shared by people who five, six years ago probably weren't watching softball in the summer, which is the interesting thing. This is bad for the sport, even though five years ago I wasn't watching it. Was I watching softball five years ago? I had a passing understanding of how good Patty Gasso's teams were when I was at OU. Um, I was at OU from 2012 to 2014. So they won a national title when I was there. Um, I actually, the day after I, me and my buddies went to O'Connell's, I think it was on a Wednesday and cause it was karaoke night and half the softball team was there and we bought them a shot. So hopefully that's okay to say, but you know, these, these are, they're adults now just like I am. Um, but it, it was really cool. And the way that they won that national title with a walk-off home run was awesome. So um, the the thing to me that I, I kind of found out when I just thought, you know, let, let's compare the 53-game win streak for this season with the 47-game winning streak under Bud Wilkinson in the 50s. You know, you take out the obvious kind of bullets, bullet points of 
well, a 53 game streak in softball is in one season. 47 games is over a period of four or five seasons. Um, there are a lot of different factors with that in football as it compared to one concentrated team in softball. So there, there are of course all those things. I was trying to look at it from a very general philosophical standpoint. And so, I mean, some of the more interesting kind of things that popped out to me were just what I wrote about in the piece about how, you know, the, the 47 game streak, uh, what was it from 55 to 1956 um, at the end of the 55 season to the beginning of the 56 season, they played nine games. It was bookended by a 40 to seven victory over Kansas state and a 45 to nothing victory over Texas in 56. And every other game in between those two, except for one was a shutout. And that one game uh, that wasn't a shutout was a 20 to six victory over Maryland in the orange bowl. So OU was a meaningless touchdown against Kansas state. And I don't know how the six points were scored by Maryland, but 20 to six in the middle of the streak, I'm going to assume was a fairly comfortable victory for OU. They were a touchdown in two different games away from having nine consecutive shutouts, which would have been a school record for OU to just really further cement in the middle of that streak, how dominant they were relative to all of college football. The softball team had the same thing. They had, what was it? A uh, 11 game streak where they shut everybody out except for two run rule games against Louisville, and Miami, and each of them scored one point. The final game, I believe was a uh, was it a fourteen to two or a fourteen? To, I think it was a fourteen to one victory over Kansas. So you add all that up, they were eleven. They they were nearly in the middle of their fifty three game streak in the middle of the season. They were this close, two two or three runs away from having eleven of consecutive shutouts. And that to me, like in the middle of that streak, just really cements home like how good they are. It doesn't really matter what the level of competition is at that point because we know how the that story ends. That just kind of goes to show you how good they are. Now, as it pertains to kind of what I started with, the whole this is bad for the sport, I don't know what the discourse was in the 50s about OU football. We all kind of have an understanding of that Sports Illustrated article that I quoted in in the thing that I wrote that kind of jinxed them uh, during uh, the 47-game streak right before the Notre Dame game. Um, I don't know what the discourse was. I'm going to assume that, though, that people throughout history are relatively the same as it pertains to sports and sports fandom. And I'm going to safely assume that there are a lot of people across the country that probably thought, uh, I don't know if this is good for the sport that OU is this good. I don't know if it's good for the sport that they keep winning, blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, those people are glued to, at the time, the radio. They are glued to the sport when they otherwise probably would not have. You know what? If you need a villain to bring more eyeballs to your sport, so be it. It's good for the sport. And it's a sport. It's competition. At some point, OU is not going to be as good relative to the rest of college softball um, as they are now. Just like at some point in the late 50s, Notre Dame came to Norman and beat OU, and they slowly but surely kind of degraded over time as those players started to filter out of the program they other programs kind of saw, okay, that's the standard. This is what we need to do in order to be like Oklahoma or beat them. So let's allocate the resources. And so you'd have Alabama with Bear Bryant kind of come out of, um, come out and become a power. You had USC in the early sixties and mid sixties. You had Notre Dame kind of have a resurgence um, following their kind of dip in the fifties. Um, so it's good for the sport. And, and in the next five to 10 years, 
OU, if they're still great, that's awesome. I hope that they are in softball, but this is good for the sport. People are watching that were otherwise not watching and other teams and other programs and other coaches and other players are going to want to beat them or at least be as good as they are. This is good for the sport and we get to benefit from it greatly because we're OU fans and OU people, but it's not going to continue. It's not going to be like this forever. And if it is, eh, sorry, you're shit out of luck. <laughs> Boomer sooner. Yeah, I, I would say these types of winning streaks or these types of uh, uh, the, the uh, coalescence of, of talent at the top or winning at the top is somewhat American in regards of sport. I mean, like you said, you had Oklahoma with the 47, you had UCLA winning all their uh, like 100 plus games. They had two of the largest, longest uh, NCAA winning streaks at the, uh, the wooden teams. You have a uh, I mean, you have Boston Celtics uh, with, with uh, uh, what's this, Bill Russell. You have the Lakers. You have the Yankees winning 27. I mean, it's just how it is. Um, it, and then you even had UConn, who had 111-game winning streak in women's basketball. I will say I think there is a very right now, right in this very moment, political discourse about women's sports in which people are maybe potentially trying to pick and poke holes at to, quote-unquote, protect the parity of sport but they only want to see it done to women's sports uh, so maybe that's something that's a little out there uh, I, i'm a little try i try to keep too much involved in that side of the stuff but you're right this stuff has been around since sport has begun they just we win and win and win until somebody else starts winning and that's just how it plays out that's how it always goes uh, that's why I always hated when uh, the nba teams were just were flying the white flag when this uh the, the warriors were winning it's like well We've got five years to tank. <laughs> it's like no, just eventually you will win too if you keep if you try. I do I do want to bring in. Uh, I, I guess we've got some sound effects here. By God, that's Alan Kenny's music. Oh my, he, uh, he is not supposed to be here. <laughs> uh, Alan, I mean, what do you maybe? I want to. I think that's an interesting topic. I mean, do you think anything from like maybe even just from any any realm of life? When things get to the top, when all talent or all like acts, it's not access, obviously, all talent and all success kind of hits a peak. And obviously that is a penetrating point within the, that sport. Have we seen that or have you given that thought of, hey, this could be an issue? I mean, just recently, Alabama, now it seems like Georgia may be starting a, you know, somewhat of a dominant run at that point in time. Do you think that's a quote unquote bad thing for a sport to have like an obvious front runner or an obvious like this is the team you got to beat you know the rick flair to be the man you got to beat the man type wow yeah i mean i never really understand what people are saying when they say good or bad for the sport like are you trying if, if we're talking about like trying to draw people in and, and get them to participate i i don't see i mean i don't see it one way or the other but it seems like you know when you have dynasties when you have these super teams uh, people want to watch. I mean, you know, I, I separate out from how I, I mean, you mentioned how this is kind of like a, an American cultural thing. It, it It's, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not sure if I'd say it's just American, but it's, it's definitely a very um, kind of American mindset to, uh, you know, kind of everybody kind of coalesce in one place, right. All the best players, you know, I mean, you think about like the dream team from the 1992 Olympics Um you know, it was amazing to watch all that talent, all those players in one place. Same time, like, I don't know. I I don't find watching someone beat somebody by 60 points that interesting, you know? So 
uh and, and for me it's i think me personally i always find it strange because you know being on a stack team to me just isn't very rewarding of an experience right but uh you know i mean in terms of being good or bad for the sport no i mean i think that i think that those kinds of dynasties and dominant teams i mean they are that's what that draws eyeballs you know either watching them dominate or the small likelihood that they might lose yeah i can only imagine you know OU being down to the last out the last swing against clemson had a lot of people tuning in at the moment like this is what's about to happen and then last year had a lot of people tuning in for the home break you know home run record being broken i mean it has a chance to 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 break barriers in this way especially for uh, you know, women's sport, which is, uh, and also just an emerging sport, which is softball as it is growing. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it's World Series uh, numbers are rivaling some college football numbers this past season. Um, some of the lower games, obviously, it's not going to get like a Big 12 or SEC championship, but it's like it's getting to the point to where people are watching this stuff and there is an investment that is being returned on. And you're seeing uh, some of this kind of stuff happen that way. But there is something that's fantastic, like you said, about seeing the villain, you know, seeing somebody, I mean, OU gets a chance to be the villain. They, and eventually some, you know, David is David because he beats Goliath. Like that's how it happens. That's, that's where that story comes from. And, you know, OU softball right now is, you know, Goliath at this point in time. Maybe it's a bad metaphor versus some of the answers they're giving in their press conferences. Uh, but I mean, they are, you know, the bully on the block at this point in time and figuring that stuff out. Um, I do want to say something right now on um, uh, uh, Cover Three podcast. Uh, how much is this? Just a masterful trolling by Danny? Is do you think he cares one single he's, bit about FSU softball and class and all that type of stuff? He's following right at, at this point like a media trope um, that Colin Cowherd is kind of famous for. If you need engagement, if you need people to kind of like rack up your your name recognition. Just piss off OU fans. Like piss off Southern uh, sports fans. Like pick pick a Southern team, piss them off. Just say things to aggravate them because a lot of them are online and a lot of them are obviously incredibly passionate about their team. And it seems to be OU is kind of the easiest team to pick on. Now I'm not I'm not 100 saying that every time Colin Cowherd would pick on OU fans that he was right or what Danny Cannell say, is saying is right. But it seems that the, at this point to be kind of a trope because uh, maybe it's because Alabama just wins so much that no one can really touch them anyway. Um, but, I mean, LSU exists. Ole Miss exists. Um, the difference is is those programs, like in the SEC, um, Alabama's got a big national fan base and a big national brand. Georgia, I guess, kind of does, and I know they're super good right now, but – I mean, I grew up in the late 90s, 2000s, 2010s, where Georgia was just kind of like, yeah, they're in a bowl game again. Watch them lose. Mark Ricks, you know. So that's kind of the Georgia that I think our generation kind of knows, even though we're getting introduced to this unbeatable Goliath that they are right now. But um, OU's got a somewhat of a national uh, fan base, not in terms of like the number of OU fans, but people know who OU, like what OU is. And a lot of people that watch sports, especially college sports, they probably grew up watching OU kick the shit out of their team as a kid, as a young adult, and probably didn't like them as a result. So it's really easy to kind of pick on OU when they're down or to find something to kind of get you into the 
conversation. And that's what Danny Cannell is doing. He's taking like an emerging sport, like you said, Peyton, and softball, a women's sport at that, and making everything about him fucking self. And so, like, you know, if he wants to be a dork like that, then so be it. But um, Alan, you might you might know this. Did he was he was he at Florida State after the and I can never remember the guy's name, the guy that won the Heisman, but then he went and played for the Knicks. Yeah, Charlie Ward. Yeah. Charlie Ward. Um I believe he was immediately after Charlie Ward, yes. <laughs> or so he, somewhere so very close. Yeah. So he's there. Did they win a national title? Did he win a national title? I don't believe he did, no. Okay. So he must have been on one of those FSU teams that kicked wide right against Miami. Yeah. So okay. something yeah, somewhere in there. That's yeah, that's right. And so, then he went, you know, played for like the he played for what? The Giants, the Broncos. Broncos, yeah. Yeah. So basically, OU fans, he is annoying, and I have kind of d- tried to dunk on him a few times on Twitter over the last few days. But just remember, he's essentially like Florida State Landry Jones. Like, pay him no mind. He is Florida State Landry Jones. Like, like, w- would you get worked up at Landry Jones if he played somewhere else and had an opinion, knowing what we know about him, like, and how he was as a player? Like, w- would you really care? Like, I'm, I'm trying really hard to just not care. Like, the softball series, um, softball season's over. OU won in with relative ease and uh routine sooner victory. And we got the we got the ring and he can could piss off for all I care. And and enough with the well, actually the Orange Bowls played in Miami, and that's eight hours away from Tallahassee. It's like, so you're telling me that the biggest, most well-known city in your state, you do not have a presence there for your with your alum base. That's that's a poverty level that I, I can't comprehend. So if you want to like kill yourself that way by all means keep doing it but um do not and i repeat do not bring up the it's not fair that oh you get to play a title game on their own like in their own backyard when our fans have seen oh you play miami in the orange bowl lsu in the sugar bowl um all the florida teams in the orange bowl and the one time that we could have played a playoff game in dallas the playoff committee decided, eh, we don't want Alabama to play OU in Dallas. That's not fair. So we're going to just retroactively bump them to four after they just wiped OSU off the face of the earth. It was like 12th at the time in 2015. Uh, but they didn't play the next week. Oh, no. So we're going to drop them to four so they can go to the Orange Bowl against Clemson. And Alabama can play Michigan State in the Cotton Bowl. So, no, I'm not going to hear that conversation or debate ever. Yeah, it's hard not to – I mean, obviously <clears> – <throat> It's just free content for them, free interactions, free engagement. And when OU fans, you know, or anybody's trying to jump on it, the thing that always just bothers me is it's it's one thing to say, because I could sit there and say, hey, because I've made that point. I've been like, it's not fair for OU fan. Oh, you I mean it sucks? They have to play these Southern teams in their basically home states every time you want to win that championship. And you can say that, and I will sit there and say, okay, I'll be hypocrite if I didn't say, you know, whatever. Um, but when you're calling like OU. These, these, you know, these women who are representing the sport and representing themselves uh, extremely well, and just basically, you know, calling them classless to a certain degree by inferring one team is full of class, <laughs> then yeah. that is just a, that's a sad human being to, uh, thing about that. So I want to leave that alone. He seems like a horrible human being. Uh, I'm joking. He's probably fine. He's just doing this for clicks. Uh, it's, the, it's I don't know, engagement. man. He's done this forever, though. Yeah. Like, this has been Canel's shtick forever. I think he, it started off as a shtick, and then now I think he actually is so lost in his own sauce that he he kind of believes <laughs> yeah. it now. And it kind of – college women have this man in his feelings. Like, they have this man – and his emotions, yeah. all the all the week leading up to like the college world series, 
he just kept tweeting basically different forms of humble yourself. Uh, you know, it's yes. before you get humbled. He, he, there's like six tweets in a row, basically saying the exact same thing. Uh, and you know exactly what he was talking about. So, uh, yeah, the college college aged women have this man, this almost 50 year old man in his feelings. And it's kind of funny. He's an absolute dork. And I can't remember the last time. I mean, I know Florida State won a title with Jameis Winston, but that title is kind of I mean, Alabama was probably the best team that year. And yeah, I, I remember the Sugar Bowl, um, but they were a missed field goal away from going to the Rose Bowl and probably killing Jameis Winston and Alabama or, and Florida State. So I know they had that one little kind of bump in their program's history. Other than that, OU ended them as like a dominant power in 2000. They were done after that game, pretty much. They had a few okay years after that, but they were done as a dominant power. And I can understand the animosity for OU as a result from a Florida State personality. And if they want to keep looking at the cheese it Bowl box score and drool at the mouth and breathe really hard at it, go right ahead. <laughs> Enjoy it. But the thing you can't stop is that OU will be dedicating and uh, creating a statue for Patty uh, next year. Very, very quick, very, very fast. She's getting her statue. Uh, active coach being immortalized via a statue right here, right there. Uh, we, you know, I guess now, but pretty soon to be a former Big 12 uh, conference mate, TCU uh, did this for, uh, for, for, I can't, uh, what's Gary it, Patterson. Patterson. And then uh, obviously that turned out Gary great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but congratulations, Patty. Uh, obviously the greatest softball coach, I would say, bar none at this point in time. Uh, and obviously probably the most deserving uh OU's athletics uh, statue coaching wise since Barry potentially uh, depending on your file, your your mileage may vary uh, stacking her up against Bob Stoops at that point in time. Uh, but now we have a smart person question or smart person topics. The reason why we got Alan on, he had to break the glass <laughs> to come on here. Uh, the IRS, the internal revenue uh, service uh, has ruled that NIL uh, collectives are, uh, the, which claim to be nonprofit and saying you have this tax deductible uh, benefit if you were to donate large sums of money to them. This would be a write-off. This was supposed to be like a very, very strong benefit as to how this, um, how these NILs can get in touch with uh, big-time boosters and stuff so you can do this stuff without it being like, you know, McDonald's bags full of money. Uh, you can actually do it legitimately, get write-offs for it. They're going to go to charitable causes, so on and so forth. But the IRS said, hold on there, player. It's not exactly how this works. Uh, it's now uh, claimed them to be not uh, tax deductible at this point in time because the benefit is a much greater benefit uh, for the private sector as it would be for a public good. Uh, Alan, what the hell does this mean? Um, <laughs> is it, it is is this going to does 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 the SEC does the RI, does the IRS have any teeth to actually do anything about this? Was just like a guidance, or it's just like the law now? Oh, great question. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the actual answer, I believe, is actually that it's on a case-by-case basis. But, um, you know, with the IRS, it's – I'm trying to think of the best way to do this. I mean, our tax system and our tax laws and administration are uh, – I mean, it's chaos at this point right now. There's such a huge backlog of, of uh, work uh, – you know, on, on all fronts when it comes to this kind of thing. But, you know, what the IRS is basically saying here is that these 50, these, these NILs that are claiming to be 501 C threes 
uh, are are not actual 501c3s because the uh per, the business purpose or the purpose of them the the way and the way they're spending money is not for a tax exempt purpose um you know i i think anybody who looked at this from the very beginning knew that this would be coming uh down the pike but you know it not surprisingly it started with texas um you know a school that has forever uh been holier than thou about paying players or what have you but then all of a sudden what uh they what they did with this um entire setup was structure was essentially they had a system that could appeal to very wealthy individuals who could um essentially donate and get a, a tax break or a tax deduction for what they were donating um, and so, you know, it kind of was an opportunity to really weaponize a lot of the uh, high net worth individuals and big money boosters there to, um, you know, get them on board with with uh, paying players. And the way it worked was the money was going to an institution that was then essentially uh, farming the players out supposedly to, uh, you know, charitable causes. So the money going in then was, you know. Uh, they claim that it was a charitable purpose when in reality, all they're doing is just funneling money to uh, college football players for the purpose of going to their going to Texas or what have you. I mean, I'm pretty sure that there are quite a few schools now that uh, have started doing this. Um, I'm, you know, there was one that Oklahoma, uh, you know, or one that was, uh, you know, set up around the OU program, not endorsed by OU or anything along those lines, but that was kind of the objective um, I hope that people were not giving money to uh, any of these organizations, but um, you know, I, I think that that is this is going to pretty much stop the the entire practice kind of dead in its tracks, in my opinion. Yeah, even though it is a case by case basis, I, I think it would be very very difficult for one of these uh, collectives to continue trying to be a nonprofit and to prove that they have a. A, a greater public good than the private good of the individual athletes getting paid for those individual schools. I mean, it's, it seems, I mean, I'm not even sure what they could even do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't even know what it is. I think it was like the pancake factory or whatever, whatever Texas was uh, like, what were they even like helping uh, old ladies cross the road and stuff? I mean, it's just like, you're, you're not able to have a great, a great enough public impact. Um, to do that it just seemed like such a foolhardy venture at right. the start but things were so ill uh ill-informed or ill-guided maybe uh there there just weren't, weren't any bumpers in any of this stuff it was uh you know fafo just 100 <laughs> all the way when it came mm -hmm. to nil stuff it was like spend money and figure it out and then we could potentially retroactively punish you based on some of these things i mean this this ruling potentially gives ncaa some more teeth now even though they won't do anything um to go after maybe some repeat offenders and things of this nature uh for that part you know and part of the thing i think that was built in kind of baked in the cake here too is that enforcement of this a lot of times comes down to actually the states and the state tax collection authorities uh so if you feel like you've got that part of the government in your pocket <laughs> you know you, then uh you can get away with it till the irs finally does step in but you know um I remember when this whole thing started, you know, and this uh, Texas alums, you know, put this out there and they did this huge PR blitz around it about, you know, the opportunity to give back to the community and all that stuff. I mean, you know, they, they hoodwink. I mean, if, 
I mean, a lot of these boosters, I mean, if they thought that, they, that this was actually, uh, you know, a, a uh, tax exempt organization or would uh, there wouldn't be any chance of uh, the IRS coming back at them retroactively over this, uh, they got they got swindled quite badly. So I guess that about wraps it up about NIL then. That was fun though, right guys? <laughs> these players aren't going to get paid ever again. Way to go. Way to go, legislative branch. <laughs> Well, I mean, no, this is only for the for the 501c3s, you know, the other ones. I mean, I the the one of the big questions now is going to be how does this impact school foundations and it, their ability to kind of play in the NIL space. But, you know, for it, it it's it's NIL will be I mean, fine going forward. It'll just have to take on a different different form. All I want is like I don't want Texas to get punished because they they're kind of good at undermining themselves from within that I don't need the NCAA or the government to get involved. Like it's just, it's kind of fun to beat them straight up. I just want Texas A&M to be the one program that gets nailed by all this, <laughs> just, just their absolute Wanton, like spending of money uh, for no reason with no goal in mind. Just here, take all this Chinese research money, take it. Um, please David Hicks, come play at Texas A&M for at least a year. And then if you want to go to Norman after that, sure, fine, cool. But just come here first so we can dunk on everybody on Twitter and say, look look at this big list of names of people with stars next to their their names. And that's that we're really good. Oh, God, we won five games. Oh, my God, we have to hire the one guy who um, coached at Arkansas with the neck brace. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, we're actually not as good as we think we are. All that money is literally, we just, we took a pile of money and we put it into the garbage can very calmly. So I hope that they get burned. That'd be funny. I do wonder like if other things are coming down the line for NIL uh, in other sort of guidelines, like maybe this was step one in, a, in, in like some of this stuff really getting kind of roughed out of like what is allowed and what isn't allowed at this point in time, uh, you know, Brady, when you were talking, the only thing I can think of uh, talking about AM because AM was the joke of you know, what what school would be the school that let foreign investors <laughs> yeah. pay all their football yeah. players? Uh, and that <laughs> made me think of the you know live tour and PGA merging uh, merging. PGA was bought out 100. Yeah. percent I know there's a, a, a you know they don't have the control of the board, but they also have right of refusal on on everything. So okay, they they run everything uh, like what sort of things will go into play? Like, will we ever see, you know, you know, I don't know, like a, a Chinese based company paying Caleb Williams to promote TikTok or, you know, something like that, where it's like, okay, we got to figure something out now because now it's the, uh, I don't know, it just has a different vibe to it other than I think what people really thought it was going to be was like, oh yeah, you can get on your Instagram. You'll say, buy this new t-shirt from this local store that I like. And instead it's become this much, 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 much different thing uh, of a beast there. Well, I don't know about the Chinese, like whatever you were mentioning, Peyton, the Chinese base to like help like sponsor or like do something with TikTok. But Miami right now, they need to strike while the iron's hot. There is a Chinese base in Cuba at this very moment spying on us. So Miami... <laughs> They are ten. They are ten feet away from your campus. Strike while the iron's hot. I want Miami to be good again, so that OU can finally beat them in a in a game of note. Like there is a lot of bad blood there. So uh, please, please do something. It's right in front of you. 
And just in case anyone is listening uh, who may have ties to the Saudi government, uh, we do have uh, <laughs> fundraising opportunities. We do have advertising. So the Public Investment Fund, if you really want to get noticed in Oklahoma, this is the podcast to do it. <laughs> Check us out on patreon.com slash the keyhole. We'll see if you can get you an ad on here. Talk about the new uh, the new golf tour you guys got going on. Big fans, big fans. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, talking about uh, more football now, call. Leslie, I typed your symptoms into the thing up here, and it says you could have network connectivity problems. Talked about this last week. Um, we even have a chance this coming uh, Wednesday. We'll be recording a live reaction podcast. The teams were actually going to split the party. If you're a D fan or if you're a Dungeon Master, the words just triggered you horribly. We're splitting the party. Uh, Alan, Brady, and Matt will be on the uh, Through the Keel for a Patreon episode to discuss the SEC dropping the 24th schedule, so Oklahoma will know what's going on. Then I will be doing a Twitter space with Red Dirt Sport to do the exact same thing. So uh, we're going to try to hammer this out on two different ways, but trying to mainly just promote, uh, I guess, small businesses in Oklahoma, uh, trying to get some more SEC uh, fandoms to understand if they want to get all the ins and outs of Oklahoma football, here's a place to do it. Uh, but the SEC is staying at eight games, at least for a little bit. And we've seen some people get into their feelings about it. Uh, at least other fan bases, uh, other programs, maybe even potentially other conferences kind of poking holes at SEC staying at eight while the other uh, the other power five or have nine conference games, which guarantees one more loss for every single conference uh, team potentially. Um, do they have a point? I mean, is there a point to this? Uh, we, do, we do know the playoff committee's strength of schedule is like very, 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 very caveman-esque. Uh, I think it's just records uh, which isn't necessarily a real strength of schedule so an eight game is fantastic for strength of schedule uh for uh, uh for sec teams maybe not strength of resume i'm not sure exactly the difference between that but is there a point to this do you think the other conferences i know the ncw actually doesn't do this but do you think there should be a a consistency across all of these conferences to say you're all playing nine games just so we have the same number of data to uh, compare and contrast as we do things for this uh, playoff and expanded playoff in the future. Alan, I'll let you take that because I said some number type stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, the interesting part is that you get a better, you actually get a better idea about strength of schedule or strength of resume uh, with fewer conference games uh, simply because you have more connectivity between schedules. Um, you know, if, if, you know, you're only playing, say, if, you, if, if, you know, if you're if a team played, say, just 12 conference games, same 12 teams every year, didn't play anyone outside the conference, you'd have no ability to really compare resumes or anything like that, you know, I mean, because everything would be all inside there. So, you know, the idea that nine games is somehow a better way to measure, I, I don't know if I'm on board with that. I mean, you know, I, you know, I mean, you know, the other thing is, you know, not all conferences are created equal. Now, I don't really buy that as a reason why the uh, SEC should get some kind of pass just to play eight games if the other conferences are playing nine. But I also don't think that, you know, necessarily playing nine conference games makes the another conference's schedule that much better. You know, there's, there's a lot going on here. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, really trying to, uh, I guess penalize teams for not scheduling better, but that almost always entails some idea of, you know, more conference games, um, which just, again, I don't, I don't see that as being um, necessarily a better way to stack up 
I have to schedule resumes. I, I'm when trying Brady, to look at. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say Brady. When I mean, OU's been in the Big Twelve now, and they have a non obviously playing round robin, playing everybody. You cannot hide in the Big Twelve. You have to play stuff. Maybe teams have certain stylistic changes. You know, K State versus Oklahoma has always been a thorn. Iowa State, you know, under Lincoln really Riley was always kind of a you know stabbing them in the side a little bit. You weren't able to be hidden by the schedule like the you know Kansas and the Big Twelve North when they're able to get squeaked through some stuff. Missouri when like they didn't have to play Texas and Oklahoma, all of a sudden they're winning 10, 11 games. Uh, the SEC has that chance to do that, but OU is coming from a schedule where you didn't hide from anyone. You had to play everyone, and now moving to the SEC where it seems to be one and seven and divisionless. Uh, who knows who you're going to be playing? There is chances you're rotating. Some years will be drastically easier than others just based on the, the historical nature of these programs, regardless of the randomness that is sport. Where are you looking from it from maybe like an historical standpoint from the University of Oklahoma as it potentially enters into this eight-game scheduling uh, versus nine? The way I've been trying to look at it is because, um, like I said, last week and we kind of all i think agreed that this eight game thing is it's not going to stay um the sec is soon like maybe as soon as 2025 going to jump into the nine game uh scenario and everyone's going to be happy um this is just going to take some feeling around so as an ou fan i appreciate the kind of it's it's an sec trial season while you're in the sec instead of what we've been doing for the last three years of like trying to prepare for the jump we'll be in the sec and it'll be kind of a weird thing that won't be the structure i think moving forward for the long term and then also i've been looking at it from the standpoint of ou has been in a conference for the last i mean how long ago was 2012 or 2011 2012 Mm -hmm. when Nebraska and A&M, Colorado, Missouri all left. Um, in that time, OU's been in a conference that has done basically everything it could to not help out its best teams. Um, and that's really only been OU. It did not help out OU in, from the standpoint of incentivizing um, programs to pick up the, the slack in some way, shape, or form. It did not expand when they could have to help the field of competition and basically just the optics of the conference of I, I don't want BYU. I don't like BYU. I don't want to be in the same conference as them, but if you're going to add them in Houston, UCF now, and I know UCF back in the early 2010s wasn't as good as they have become, um, you know, just simply helping the optics of the conference would have helped OU. It would have helped the conference in terms of recruiting. Um, but OU and some of it is OU's own fault for how they recruited and how they perform, especially on the defensive side of the football. Um, but, you know, the SEC does what it can to help out the teams that win them games, to win them prestige, and to get them a lot of money. And fortunately for them, that's been not just one program like in the Big 12, it's been multiple programs. And even the programs under those schools win at such a clip that they kind of like, how can we help make all this better? How can we increase this? And so they look at it from that standpoint. So um, eight game schedule, fine. You know, it, it could probably benefit OU in some way. And then once they jump up to nine games, whether that's in 25 or 26, whenever it is, um, OU will at least have a year or two under um, under their belt in the SEC. So it won't be such a jarring culture shock of a change.
Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge chair and continue listening to this episode. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Great food, drinks, and atmosphere. And also speaking about the eight game, like it's it's going to change, but you know, there's kind of a little a rant and rave about, well, this isn't fair. They're not playing the same number of teams and all that type of stuff. And maybe maybe the point maybe we're missing that too is that these conference games, these these conferences aren't built equally. You know, it's like you can't sit there and say, you gotta play nice and everyone else is, but there's some there's a market difference between playing playing at some of these conferences. I mean, right now the SEC has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight teams in the uh, blue chip ratio above 50%, which is like the, the, the rule of thumb, like you need to be at least here on the talent acquisition level to get there. So out of the top 20, eight of those come from one conference. That's including OU and Texas at this point in time. Uh, with with uh, six of those being over six, 70% of their team is built out of four and five-star players. I mean, you're just running into better stuff rostered teams i won't know if they're like better performing teams obviously that has not always shaken out the way it is i mean you've got florida and auburn above the 51 percent uh they're not like winning a ton of football games right now uh but they at least have talented football players at just a higher higher clip uh, at that point in time um you know that's a, a nice little segue to talk about the blue chip ratio uh, oh he's sitting at 70 percent right now tied of texas uh, once you add in transfers and add and remove, OU drops down quite a bit, but still stays in their spot right there in the second tier. Uh, how much? How much do you take from this, uh, Brady? Uh, the idea that OU is—I mean, obviously it's talent. You got to get to Jimmy's and Joe's. You got to move this way. OU sitting at seventy percent right now. This is kind of this this rule of thumb, and you know, Bud Elliott puts this together, and he's even kind of said, "Hey, you used to be fifty percent, but now we're thinking it might need to start getting closer to seventy percent because you're seeing these teams." Or sitting at 85, 90%, and they're the ones who are winning. Is OU on this track? Could we, do we look at this just from a blank number and you see OU 70% blue chip ratio? Do we need to care about this? <laughs> or is it purely just a talking point? We need to remove this from our minds, remove the hope from our minds, and, and get ready to win nine football games. No, I think you absolutely need to put a lot of stock in it. Um, I mean, this has been. This has been the rule ever since football has been played. Like the teams with the most talent win games. The only difference is, is that we some we somehow try to quantify it with star rankings and um, ESPN top 150 lists. You know, like we, we try to quantify players well before they ever step foot on a campus and have to experience life as a college football player. And as OU has found out, especially at the wide receiver position, you can have a bunch of guys that look like Greek gods with five stars next to their name. But um, once they're put into a situation where they're playing against guys that are just as big or fast or strong as they are, um, some of them aren't able to make the leap. Some of them aren't able to um, like take it um, mentally, physically, whatever it may be. And they just simply don't live up to their billing. Um, As it pertains to OU right now, I'd really be curious to see of that 70%, 
Uh, a, where is it allocated? Because I think the the thing that we've always kind of known over the last handful of years under Lincoln Riley is they've got a you know 65, 68% blue chip ratio. That's great. That puts them in the conversation. Um, but all those players are on offense, aren't they? They're all um, wide receivers. They're all tight ends. They're all quarterbacks. They're all um, tackles. Um, no one's, there's no, none of them are like in the, on the interior and the defensive line, maybe not even some of them are like edge rushers. Sure as hell aren't linebackers. I'm sure as hell aren't cornerbacks and defensive backs. So you a want to get it spread out somewhat evenly and maybe put a lot of stock in quarterback and defensive line in a perfect world, but that's a perfect world. It's easier said than done. And then also with our 70%, how many of those players are, players who have not played a down for OU yet. So that includes transfers and this incoming freshman class, which we're all excited for. And we all saw, you know, like Peyton Bowen make a huge interception play in the spring game. That excites everybody, but it's a different ball game when you're playing against an opponent on a Saturday in the fall. Um, So we're putting a lot of stock and a lot of pressure on a bunch of kids who have not played at OU yet. And that gives me some concern, but the whole point of it is you follow up that class with, another top end class so that the guys who may not be a ready year one, or the guys who may end up just being Jags um, for the rest of their careers, you supplement them with, let's try this again at that position. So um, I, it puts you in the conversation. That's great. But by no means do I think OU is going to be in the national championship conversation as a result of this number this season. Yeah, I, I echo those things. I mean, you see positive trend lines, and that's all where, where I think Brent and his, the staff is right now is get the trend lines moving in positive directions and building foundations. Uh, I will say, you know, counterpoint to where, I, the, yeah, the previous regime, most of those five stars were obviously wide receivers. You're looking at some running backs, things of that nature. I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the, the fun stuff. <laughs> uh, but I think under Brent, you're seeing those five stars have transitioned to defensive tackle, defensive end, you know, things of that nature where OU does need to be in May. I mean, OU was in very much so in the hunt for two five-star defensive linemen this cycle. Uh, You know, they have a five-star cornerback who will be visiting fairly soon. I mean, this type of stuff is where you're seeing just different roster composition of kind of going through this. But I will say that number, as we see it right now, is a mirage. (laughs) It is a whisper on the wind you're on a road trip the little little vapors are coming off the hot the tarmac of the highway do not look at it in any way specter form other than to say OU has talent on the roster and Brent needs to win football games this year yeah well like let's also you mentioned the thing about the uh you know overall talent gain diluted with the uh, transfers Uh, I mean I I've been I dug into a lot of like a lot of things, a lot of numbers on this and looking at, yeah. Oh, you had a 70% has a 70% blue chip ratio this year. That doesn't reflect the players who are on the roster right now. That reflects players who have been signed right in recruiting classes. So looking back, I mean, Lincoln Riley, his final three years did a number on OU's roster, 64 players in the final three recruiting classes when he was there. So that's 2019, 2020, 2021. 64 players, 32 finished their college career somewhere other than OU. Three retired from football. Three were dismissed from the program. That's 38 out of 64 players that never finished at OU. They went somewhere else. 
that's an attrition rate of like 60% in that three-year period. And that's not even counting like an Austin Stogner who transferred from OU is now back at OU. So, you know, you're looking at the 2021 class in particular, 16 recruits that year, which was tied with uh, Northwestern for the smallest class in the top 50 uh, of the Korean ranks of that cycle. Nine of those players transferred out, including three who went to USC along with Lincoln Riley, one of which just won the uh, Heisman Trophy this season. So, you know, I mean, you look at how many players that OU's had to backfill you you through the transfer portal because guys who were supposed to be seniors aren't there. Guys who are supposed to be juniors aren't there. That's why you're seeing, I mean, you know, you've got to take a lot of these kind of three-star transfer guys who are out there. You know, I mean, maybe OU's doing, getting good players in the portal, but you'd rather have, you know, the uh, five-star high school guys come into your program and stay there. You're not going to find very many more Caleb Williams in the uh, transfer portal going forward. It just isn't going to happen. No, uh, yeah, the transfer portal is the, you know, the, what is it called? The Island of Misfit Toys to a certain degree. I mean, if you're a great player, uh, you've already been, you've already decided where you're going to go. More than likely, uh, things have been arranged uh, from that perspective. Uh, That brings us to the end of our show. I want to say thank you, uh, everyone who listened this far. Thank you guys so much. Big shout out to Chris as well for winning the softball. Uh, But for myself, for Alan, for Brady, and for Matt, thank you guys so much. Boomer. Sooner.